my biggest goal in life, and again, if I were to tell you this, like, again, what is my tenure thing is I want to sort of reduce the gap between ambition and ambition unrealized. That's really what my purpose is in life. My purpose is to help people be able to realize that thing. Cause quite honestly, like the world needs it. We need more ambition to solve big problems. And Welcome back to the certain uncertainty podcast. Today we are joined with another guest, a friend of mine and publisher of mine, Eric Coester. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and read a little bit about him and his biography. And so we can kind of get introduced into today's topic. So Eric Coester is a serial entrepreneur, investor, and author. His award-winning book creators community program has helped more than 1,000 first-time authors create and publish their first books. And has produced nine national book award winners or finalists in 2020, 2021. Additionally, Professor Coester is a leading educator in the fields of technology, innovation, corporate innovation, and startup creations, including as the former manager, director, and venture par partner of NextGen Venture Partners, an early stage venture fund, and as the founder and CEO of the Manuscripts Group, an educational technology company providing community-powered writing and publishing programs named to by Inc. Magazine as the number five fastest growing privately held education company in 2021. So, Eric, welcome on board, and we Thank talked- you. Talk the only thing little. I have to say is that's it's now 31 National Book Award winners are finalists. So just since you, the, the, I need to update the, the uh, bio, but it's been 31, which is crazy to say out loud. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. So thank you. Before we just kind of dive right in, you know, let's just set up a little bit of intention. So the way we've structured this episode is more or less as a content therapy session. So yep. throughout this episode, we're going to be providing Eric with some scenarios, just some kind of baseline. Uh, foundational friction points. So some things that creators go through when they're trying to create something, but they feel blocked. Maybe there's some kind of emotional instinct that's that's kind of stuck uh, that they're blocked by or some kind of, I don't know, financial reason or, or any of these reasons, right? I mean, so, you know, uh, let's just jump into it. And, and so we have about six scenarios. The first of which, let's talk about this one because I wanted to place this one first because it's a very basic human emotion and this really touches on the idea of community. And when you're in this creation zone, it's often that you can feel isolated. And, and so I guess the biggest question is, what would you say to someone? What would you, you know, say to inspire, to get them to really get onto the production train for someone who feels isolated by a really high sense of ambition? Because uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's true of a lot of these types of creators. They have this really high ambition and yet that isolates them. And so it's, it's kind of weird optimization. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, I'll start with a little context here that I think mm -hmm. will, will help behind this one is I think, you know, to your point, I've had this super fortunate um, experience for the last couple of years. That's actually how you and I met of essentially kind of coaching, supporting and teaching um, creators. And so I've now helped about 1500 first time authors publish their books. Um, I've helped podcasters, you know, creators, entrepreneurs and those things. And so I think what in some senses I'm, you know, kind of like the creator whisperer and that I've been able to work with all these people. And I think what's interesting about what I have gotten to do is I've learned a lot about sort of the mindset behind helping people create. And I'll give you some little just data points to kind of set the stage for us here. So a book is a really good example of sort of a big creative project. And I think about creating something that's going to take you six to 12 months as something substantive. So this isn't about like tweeting more or putting out a few blog posts. Like this is about creating something of substance. So I'm going to launch an audio show and do at least a dozen episodes. I'm going to put out an 
an album. I'm going to sort of start a YouTube series and do, you know, I'm going to launch a book. Like those are big substantive projects. So I think about things that will take you six to 12 months. And so is using some data behind this. Let's start with the book as the comparable. It is one of the hardest things you can do to actually start and finish a book all the way through. So to get into an Ivy League school, let's set context there. About 9% of people who apply will get admitted into an Ivy League school. That's really, really hard to do. A book? 2%. 2% of people that start a book will ever finish it. So it's you know, four times harder to do a book than it is to do uh, to finish a book than it is to get into some of the most elite schools in the world. And so what's interesting about like knowing that is I set out to figure out like, how can I actually help people who are clearly ambitious, who clearly are motivated to actually do one of the hardest things on earth? And here's what happened is we figured out how to help about 70% of people that start this process with me go on to finish something that is publishable and go on to publish. So about 30 to 40 X better than normal. Now there's not like any magic here. I'm not like sorting people. I don't sort of say like, you have to be this person to do it. I take anyone and we'll help them work through that process. So that's the important thing is to kind of set the context is these are hard things. Like I'm looking for people who want to do the, probably the hardest thing of their life, a book, an audio show, a video course, an album, right? So really, really hard things that have high failure rates and yet give them a way to do this in a way that is highly successful in those ways. And so I think what you realize when you start to do those things is that it really has almost nothing to do with your motivation. Truly. So everyone who wants to write a book or wants to do an album is motivated, but there's things stopping them. And so I used to think like, well, why is this? What's going on behind it? So now that I've done this with 2000 plus people, I actually started to gather data about people who succeed and people who don't succeed. And at the start of the process, I asked them a little bit about their fears, their doubts, their work systems, the approaches they have behind it, what their motivations are. And what's really interesting is now what we can figure out is the key things that stop us are not our motivation. So let's put this out there. It's not because you're not motivated, you're not interested, you're not passionate about it instead, but it's about frictions to our ambitions. There are things that stop us from like kind of making it all the way through, things that derail us, get us off track or hold us back. And so what we call these is frictions. There's two types of frictions for people. There's what we call blockers, things that kind of are stopping us from realizing our ambition, or what we call anchors, sort of things that are holding us into the current place we are. So things that you kind of can't, you know, currently overcome to get to where you want to go, or sort of oftentimes people holding you into where you are. And so that's what's really important to know is that, and the first thing I would say to anyone listening to this show is it's not your motivation. It's not that you're not motivated enough. You don't care about it enough. You're not passionate about it enough behind it. That's rarely the problem. The real problem is that you haven't figured out how to manage through your frictions. And that's what I started to realize with this programs that I've been doing is if you can help someone, we'll say to use the analogy a little bit, lubricate the friction, the things that are stopping themselves from doing it, those gears grinding, you can help people do amazing things. So the reason that I can produce 30 to 40 X better results for normal people to actually go on and finish the hardest thing of their life is because you understand how to name it 
call the frictions what they are. And number two, apply tactical things to solve it. And so I think that's probably the context for all of this, especially everyone listening to this one, is that you're probably motivated. You have a motivation. I want to be better. I want to change. I want to become a better version of myself. And so oftentimes that manifests by picking something hard. I would love to, again, sort of publish a book. I would love to produce a screenplay. I would love to do an album. And so if you're at that point behind it, the next important thing is to figure out what are your frictions and how do you manage through them for the next stage behind it? So I'll sort of pause there for you guys to reflect on that a little bit. And then we can talk about specifically about having ambitions, but I did want to set the stage for everyone that a, it's great to be ambitious, but ambition enough isn't, isn't the key thing. It's about actually understanding then the frictions that are stopping you from realizing that ambition. So the gap between, you know, ambition and realization behind it, this is what we want to solve for. And this is by understanding that there are frictions that stop us usually between our ears, sometimes outside of us, but mostly between our ears and then trying to manage through it. Definitely. I think it's really interesting how you, you approach this, this topic of collecting this information and all of the data from people that you've directly worked with. And I'm yeah. curious when, when people either express to you different ways that they've approached these problems or ways to address this friction that they can kind of push through that next layer, has there been a consistent trend or at least themes for these friction points that you've seen a lot of these creators go through because it is it's an interesting amalgam of feelings when someone comes into a creative project and they have this strong passion or desire and motivation to do it and then there's all of these like as you say like push points along the way where it's like you push the first one and then you have some some momentum and then another one comes and then you keep pushing and yeah. then another one and there's there's almost layers that you're building outward um has there been a consistent theme that you've kind of seen, especially when it comes to people writing books or, or starting companies? Yeah. So I think in general, what I would say, so first off, the uh, how this manifests is different for every person, but there's a series of things that you can do. So it's, it's part of the reason why it's typically so hard is it's kind of what we call multivariant test, right? The multivariate thing. And sort of like everything is a little bit different along the way, but there's some certain patterns and things. So there's really three things that I would share for any single person who's looking to, as we'll describe that, realize their ambition. So I'm looking for people who are ambitious and want to realize it. There's three most important things that you have to sort of understand. The first thing is you have to name what your friction is. You have to be able to describe it and name it. You have to sort of not, you know, you have to see there's a pink elephant in the room and you have to call it the pink elephant and talk about it and name it. So the first thing is you have to understand it. And that's one of the things that we can talk about a little bit is there's not that many frictions out there. There's things like boredom, loneliness, imposter syndrome or insecurity, kind of fatigue and uncertainty. Those are the five kind of broader fixed frictions that we know that affect our mindset. So you have to sort of understand what it is and what primarily you're worried about. That's the first thing. The second thing is the key part in all of this one is that you also then have to sort of have dedicated time for whatever your ambition might be. And part of it is that I think what I mean by that is not just saying like, hey, I'm going to launch a podcast. Instead, you have to basically say, Thursday afternoon from four o'clock until eight o'clock, this is the time I'm working on it. So the first thing is you name it. The second thing is you manage time. And the third thing to know is that ambitious people oftentimes make a big error and they think that ambition is an individual sport. Ambition 
is a clear peer accountability move. And that's what's really important to know is you have to involve other people to hold you accountable to this one. So those are the three sort of key things that I would say, if you generalize it, say you have to name the beast, talk about that pink elephant, know what your frictions might be and what they are. Number two, you have to sort of manage the time behind this one. You can't sort of have an interest in doing it, but not have clear time dedicated to it. And number three, you have to involve other people in that sort of friction mitigation that comes from accountability, discussions, imposters, all those things behind it. But we call this third part of it, we've called PACs, which are these sort of informal agreements that you make with other people to hold you accountable. And so those three things are the generalities behind it. And once you sort of, again, can use this shared language, you can use a sort of have dedicated time to make progress on these ambitions. And number three, have peers and accountability around you. That's where I think things take a dramatic leap behind it. How it applies to you specifically is different, but those three things are consistent across, um, across the board. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel us back a little bit. I want to dig back into the idea of motivation, and I want to contrast it with ambition because they are, are different things in my world. And I, I want to just make sure we, we set the ground stage for why we're kind of invalidating the, the effects, effectiveness of motivation as, as just a function of getting people to do some action, some behavior, whether it's producing a book, whether it's producing a song, wh- whatever it is, right? You know, what is this, this disconnect between ambition and motivation? And, and maybe, maybe it's not even good to tie ambition to motivation because motivation isn't a catalyst for action necessarily. And so right. I'll, I'll let you kind of just pick up on that and, and take it where you want, but let's, let's make sure to get these terms just right. Yeah. Yeah. Ambition is, is sort of, it's a, it's a very innate human desire. Ambition is that, and and particularly it's sort of to want better for ourselves. It's something about the human condition that we want to improve, be better and that stuff. And so that's, you know, we all have our own versions of it. Um, I think today, probably more than at any time in human history, we now have sort of more examples of how individuals can achieve success. So you you just see this today. We see the people that were motivated by, you know, whether it's the Paul brothers who came from kind of nothing to become some of the biggest superstars on YouTube, or whether you you think about, you know, people who just don't come from those right places who are now succeeding today in Hollywood and music. Chance the Rapper who came, you know, got kicked out of high school and now is one of the biggest music artists doesn't have a record label. So I think what's important to know is ambition is simply a, a very human desire that we all have is to better ourselves and how that manifests for you is different for you. What you're interested in, what you care about, what you like behind it. Today, the sort of Gen Z um, sort of population, the young set is the most sort of interested or the most ambitious generation in human history. The number of them who want to work for themselves, own their own thing is, is great. So that's what I would sort of say is it's a generally part of the human condition. To me, the way I would describe motivation is kind of the actions you're taking to get you to that. And so kind of what we think about it is like, I'm motivated to do it. And like, these are the things that I'm sort of taking those actions into it. And that's where I think things often derail is that sort of, you know, we think that like, well, I'm not doing those actions. So therefore I must not be motivated. And I think part of it is understanding like what the actions are and kind of not that you're not motivated to do it. It's that like, it's, it's harder than you thought it would be, or there's things that are making it more difficult, the friction, so to speak, behind it, that make progress slower. And that's a big part of this. If you read anything from James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, he talks about it is that progress 
on any kind of creative pursuit or change is slower at the beginning, but then accelerates at, over time. And a lot of people don't realize that the early momentum, that early progress is slowed by these frictions. And so that's what's important to know is that people assume that because it's not going as fast as they thought, it means that they're not motivated enough. It's not that at all. It has everything to do with the fact that the friction slow us down until we're able to basically make more progress. And that's the distinction. But it's a really great one, Jonathan, to point out there is that I think people sort of think about, well, I'm ambitious, therefore, like, but I'm, I guess I'm just not motivated motivated enough to realize my ambition. And that's really not the, the key thing to know. Motivation is just the you know sort of desire to make those steps and changes. And I think what, what I've learned in it is that it's everyone's motivated when they start these things behind it, but it's that that motivation isn't enough. You have to, again, manage those frictions in order to realize that ambition. Mm-hmm. I know it's interesting when, when I think about the way kind of people are described, especially in the entrepreneurial space and then in, in the founder space, you have people um, sometimes described as overambitious. Do you think that's actually possible or do you think that's kind of a, a misattribution to something else, saying something that's yeah, a little well, too overambitious? Is, is, is it overconfidence? Yeah. I don't think it's either. I actually think that it's sort of underperformance. <laughs> so you're overly okay. ambitious because you're actually not sort of showing progress and momentum towards that ambition. I don't think there is such a thing as being overly ambitious. I just think there's underachievement towards your ambition. That's where I think the gap oftentimes happens. I actually think it's, I think what's amazing today, maybe than any other time in human history, is that there really aren't some of the same shackles of ambition that there were before. You really don't have the same sort of, and we talk a lot about this, this idea of blockers. And today, I actually think that blockers are much less of an issue. So blockers are things that are preventing us from doing what we want to do. Give an example behind this one. Like, let's just say that you really wanted to be, you know, you wanted to become a movie producer. So that used to be really, really difficult to do because you had to basically, you know, work at these certain places, get certain things to, to help you behind it. But that that's kind of gone away. Like you could start to produce things like, you know, we'll use the example of Mr. Beast, right? Mr. Beast is now a television producer producing some of the most watched television of all time. He doesn't work in Hollywood. He doesn't have those connections. So his ambition is extremely massive, but his achievement towards ambition is very sort of realistic because he again has big ambitions. The blockers that might've stopped him 10 years ago are gone. The internet has disrupted that, the ability to get financing things, crowdfunding. So what I see today for ambitious people is that the blockers are much less of a problem. There's fewer things stopping us from realizing our ambition, holding us down. But there are more anchors, things that stick us here. And those are the bigger problem behind it. Again, if Mr. Beast had come along, you know, 20 years ago, he probably would have had a really difficult time because of the lack of reach of distribution and of platforms that allow him to realize his ambition. So those blockers were much bigger. Today, the anchors are really what would hold him back. The next Mr. Beast might be thinking, well, like I can't produce content in this way. Like I don't have money. I'm, I'm not sure where to begin, all that kind of stuff behind. So we think of those as what mentally stop us. And that's, I think, what the change is happening. It used to be all blockers for the most part that would stop us from being our ambition or over ambitious. Today, I think those go away. And now it's more on sort of the anchors that hold us down. Hmm. Okay. So I feel like the blocker idea is, is somewhat intuitive. I mean, we've, we've all been at a point where it's like, okay, I have to get over this hurdle, but this anchor idea, 
can take various forms, I imagine, whether it's an anchor to some kind of inanimate object. It could be a drug, literally. It could be a set of relationships, you know, like, I, I want to I make sure we're clear on what this anchoring is. Maybe it's a type of concept or a topic that you're, you, you really like and you don't want to leave it behind. Um, you know, I, you see where I'm going? I, I want that anchoring sure. to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think anchoring is oftentimes the resistance, the, the resistance to sort of changing from where you are to where you want to go. So we'll, we'll again use the example behind sort of, let's just say Mr. Beast as an example, because he's, he's a good example, well-known in the YouTube space. So a good example of blockers, again, which we talked about would be, I can't, you know, I could produce something, I can't get it out behind it, I can't get financing for those things. And I think a lot of those have gone away. Anchors would be things like, I don't necessarily like my existing friends and family like are going to force me to go get you know into school in this way or anchors might be as like I don't know how to get this information that I need to go what I'm doing. So anchors are typically kind of holding you into where you are and oftentimes it does manifest itself really in sort of people and it also resources a little bit. So I do think that part of this is to be really upfront and aware that there are certain societal biases that are more likely to keep people uh, to to you know, in some ways, reinforce certain anchors behind it. There are, you know, economic constraints behind it. There are fear constraints. There are family pressures behind it. But those are, I think, certainly what you're seeing today is that oftentimes those are a bigger manifestation in our minds. And so we, you know, are afraid to stand up to our parents. Um, whereas maybe today, if you rethink that, how you would do that, that would change. So that's a good example. If you think of Mr. Beast, if his parents said, listen, we really want you to be a lawyer and he sort of couldn't figure out a way to do what he really wanted to do and convince himself to do it and take small steps. That's an example of what we would think of as an anchor. Or another example would be is like, I don't know what kind of shows I would produce this idea of like, I'm kind of bored with what I'm doing, but I don't know what else to do. And he wasn't taking steps to actually work towards learning about it. That's another example of an anchor. So usually those are more internal things that hold us into where we are versus stop us from where we want to go. Yeah. I want to, I want to jump on that really quick because they are very similar, but there is something different in the novelty. Like in, in terms of the anchor, it's something you know exists. You know it, it's it's right. it's a type of blocker, but you know it's something that's attached to you. You've held onto it. You're carrying the luggage around. Whereas this this blocker that we're referring to, as opposed to the anchor, is something that's usually novel. W would you say that's usually true? Something you so, haven't really experienced before? Exactly right. Okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. It's a great way to think about it. Hmm. And again, I think, it's, I think what's important, so important in it is to sort of exactly what we're doing here is put language to it, to be able to understand it. Because I think what happens is, is that, again, the easy way to look at these things is to say, I must not be motivated enough. I must not really want it or something like, or whatever it is. And so the, the important thing is, and I think that's why I would share with you that for me, with all of these people that I've worked with, it's not one of these things that I like, here's the information, you're good. There's a very much a coaching element to it. And this comes from the mentors you have. This comes from programs, peers, and things behind it. But it's you can only kind of work through these individual struggles if you have a shared language, a shared culture, and a shared methodology. And those are kind of the things to know for creators is that you kind of have to like assess where you're at. And to do that one, you have to have the shared language, the shared kind of culture to understand those things, and then the methodology to move through them. And that's kind of what this research and this work about frictions of ambition is really important in is because the fact of the matter is, is that this generation, again, particularly the people who are under the age of 30, are both the most ambitious generation in history and are also supposed to be the least entrepreneurial generation in history at the same time, which is a crazy dichotomy. More people want to have these things, and yet 
they're less on track to do it. That's unfortunate. And a lot of it is one of those things that to your point about being overly ambitious, it's offset saying, well, these just kids don't really want it. They don't want to work very hard behind it, which is total BS. The truth is, is that no one's teaching us how to realize ambition, not that we're not like motivated, not hardworking in those things. And so anyone who tells me that like this current generation just doesn't really want it, they don't want to work hard, doesn't understand ambition and they don't understand the pieces behind it. And it, as you can see, it fires me up a lot because I think it's a very dismissive way to think about it versus to try and actually solve the root of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've held off on going the scenarios. You, you can jump on here in a sec, Joe. I just want to point out, I've held off on going on these scenarios because I think we got to set this context, you know, getting yep. these getting these structures right, getting your process right. And, and so I just wanted to point that out for our viewers and listeners here that we will come back to our scenarios, but I think we still have to touch on a few things more. But yeah, go ahead, Joe. I, I think you had something there. No, I was going to say it's so... It was so interesting, and I think well put how you said it's it's the most ambitious generation we've seen in, in human history, but also recognizes one that may be kind of lacking behind previous timelines and trends where people were doing entrepreneurial activities. Right. And that that fascinates me because I look at how people are growing at different rates within different cultures and different communities. And I wonder, from your perspective, what do you think it's a value, uh, a value problem or, or a cultural um desire for something else like these these intrinsic and extrinsic rewards that we see like what's inspiring people to chase after a job for the pay versus something that's actually a passion and that kind of dichotomy i'll sort of I'll, i'll sort of answer this in the best way so i think that what's changed so why is this generation so ambitious why is you know why do people want to be youtube celebrities and why do people want to be influencers and why do people want to have entrepreneurial jobs behind it it's because that blockers that made it so hard to do have gone away so the blockers have been moved away that were really truly preventative from us from doing things like it was nearly impossible for people to do a lot of these things behind it because there was just these big blockers to do it, especially when you were young. So being young and ambitious was like, good luck kid, right? That's what was happened. So I think what today I've seen is there are these, these people that we can look to like the Hassan Minaj's who came from, you know, nowhere's very California. And it became one of the biggest comedians by using YouTube. You look at Mr. Beast, who's become such a huge influencer behind it. You just, you see all these examples out there of people who have done it. And that gives us a model to look at. So that's, I think what's really changed is that we have this model for this desired thing to do it. You can be young and successful, um, you know, when you're ambitious. So that's, I think the first thing, but the second thing that I think has not happened in it is that if you look historically that sort of succeeding in a traditional career path was very well defined, you would spend two years doing this one, and then you would get promoted. You do this one, you would do these things. So like we had a very clear, almost the way I would describe it to people today is there was an escalator approach to career success. You slot into your industry and you are, you know, at the upper 25% in terms of performance and working hard, and you will wind up being able to achieve the American dream success behind it. What's different now is that it's not about the escalator approach. It's not like you get on the right place and you just sort of don't mess it up and you get there. Instead, today is much more like the video game approach. The way I see success today, and again, the Mr. Beast of the world, the Hassan Minaj of the world, the you know, pick your person here, Brene Browns, all these people who are like achieving ambition in these different ways is 
they're basically picking up the video game controller and they've got to avoid like, you know, flames coming at them. They've got to jump over things. They've got to basically take more control and agency autonomy over it. So what's happening is that we've trained everyone to basically live in the escalator approach to success. When the reality is we need to teach them how to essentially be able to manage and control their own avatar, their own character. It's not like you put your character on the escalator and you just don't screw up and you'll get to a level of success to be Mr. Beast you've got to become like really good at jumping over things at doing things at fight. So, so there's a different level of it. And I think really what that comes down to is this idea of agency and autonomy. And I shared this with you guys offline a little bit, but one of the things that I wanted to understand is so, so the people who make it, let's take those people who do achieve exceptional success in their twenties. So I studied all the people who've been named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list, which is about 6,000 people when I did the research behind it. So whatever you think of the list behind it, it's a list of exceptional sort of 20 somethings. And so I wanted to see like what made them unique or different. Like what were the things behind it? And the biggest thing that I found is over 80% of them had some kind of project that they worked on. And that project was something meaningful. It could be a podcast, a book, research, those things. So what I would posit to you all is projects like they were working on are where we actually learn how to pick up the video game controller for ourselves and jump. And we might die at times and try these things behind it. But that's how we learn how to actually achieve ambition. The problem is, is that colleges and adults and mentors are telling us just plug into the escalator. That's what we did. That's how it worked. When the reality is the world is so different today that we have to train and teach people how to take the video game controller and understand how to beat the big boss at the end. And it doesn't come from kind of just not standing out. It comes from understanding how to do things, how to manage things, how to promote things in that way. So that's sort of, is that it's a longer answer than you may have anticipated, but I think that's the, that's the trend that's happening. And again, the problem is, is that, that to your point of why are we not seeing that realized more people want it, but I think there's less people sort of changing the way that we support, educate, train those people so that this disconnect here is happening because people sort of, yeah, I want to pick up the controller, but I've never played before and no one's here to help me and guide me. And so we don't have a lot of that sense of how to navigate through this new world order to achieve that level of ambition. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, kind yeah. of like I mean, a, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, it's like, a, it's like kind of a cognitive lag over generations where we have <laughs> the the teachings and the success of, of, of what worked before us. And it's, it's easy to look at people who are very successful, like, um, like Dan Pena or Elon or all these like really famous entrepreneurs and, and try and look at the path that they followed, which was unique and different for their time. But it's difficult to recognize that you can't do what they did now again and expect anywhere near the same results is it's mm-hmm. challenging to have to look at the inspiration and more of the roots that came from behind that and then apply that in a new framework and kind of pot that in your own life. We have to recognize the world's different today and it's different today and it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. It just is different today, but expecting sort of, you know, seeing that the, the video game that we're playing is different today and it's, you know, it's Donkey Kong in the past, right? You just like literally the same level, but now it's like Call of Duty. And it's like, if the, the things are so different and they're so complex that I think you have to have a different set of skills behind it. And that's again, where I think a lot of this, why I love what you guys are talking about here is we talk about this thing called creators and this broad sense behind it. And I think that's a big umbrella for people who want to start a Shopify store and start making a side hustle, people who want to start a tech company, people who want to write a book, people who want to do a podcast, like that's the broad thing behind it. And I believe that everyone should do that. 
everyone should have something they have to do. But that gap from like, you know, sort of like, how do I begin? How do I think about it? Is that people don't talk about, well, listen, you don't start out by playing at level 99 in the game. You start out playing at level one and you start doing it earlier and you have success and support behind you. So again, I think there's a, a, a new curriculum maybe to think about of how we can guide people to success today. And I mean, that's, I think what's so interesting about, again, why I love the book as a, a good a tool for, I mean, I've had, you know, two of my authors have gone on to make that Forbes 30 under 30 list. And they all say the same thing. They're like, this never would have happened unless I wrote the book. No kidding. That's your project. Right. And so we can see those things, but the problem I think for a lot of people is that again, like, you know, so I'm 45, I'm like, I'm so unusual for my gener- for my peers to think like I, I understand the world very differently for what it looks like today, but people don't sort of, people aren't willing to go back into the world today and re-examine it. And that's where I think the disconnect is, is that the people who are, who've made it, the successful people don't really understand that what they did to make it doesn't apply today. And so it's sort of like me saying like, yeah, you should just do what I did. It's like, that doesn't make any sense anymore. You have to reimagine what success looks like in this new world order. Yeah, I want to I want to point out one thing as far as the usage of video game as an analogy. And I think it's point on because A, it's a new technology and B, video game doesn't specify a single video game. You, you can have various forms of a video game. There's lots of different styles. There's lots of different ways we can conceptualize anything in a video game. And I think as we move forward to a greater and greater innovation, I guess, society, we're going to have more and more tools to work with just like a video game, and we're going to need to be able to know and be aware when to pick them up and so forth. And, and I think the key thing here uh, with, with video games is that you're shifting mediums. And this is the key thing, I think, in my head. Because when I'm, when I'm trying to map this out from a guess, neuroscientific perspective and, and seeing how, you know, motivation is really this kind of association network of familiarity. And if you don't have some level of familiarity with the tools in the first place, there's going to be that novelty barrier in picking them up, that, that initial yep. friction point. And so at the very least, playing with these things, going into you know, a little video game or, or, or doing a book, writing a song or something, shifting the way the language processors in, in our brain are actually associating information allows us to become a little bit more powerful in how we actually create in the first place. Um, and, and so that's, I think, you know, what we're kind of pointing out here with this video game concept is like, it's a different medium in which our brain is translating, picking up information. And so when we come back to reality, it's like, oh, wait, I've, I've kind of abstracted things in a different way. And it makes it a little bit easier to then verbalize or to write it down in a, in a book perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm curious what you think about as far as like mediums that we have to play with, because, because that's kind of the game, right, is, is what are the different ways we have to challenge our brains to see what types of yeah. actions we can take whenever we're producing or creating. And, and you know, podcast is just one medium, um, sure. right? You know, like, what are, what are the ways we can interact and, and, and create? And, and I know you've been really good at this. You're, you're always releasing good videos, podcasts, writing books and art, you know, a whole, the whole nine yards. And so it's like, what's the effect? What's like the optimization? Is it 10 articles yeah. a week? One video, you know, like, what is that? you right. One video game, so there's maybe. Like, there's like 40 <laughs> questions embedded in there. So know, let me see right. if I can unpack this a little bit. But I think the, fir- the first thing I think it's important to know is, and, and I'll talk about this a little bit. You, you did a nice job of comparing this 
to the video game. The video game is an interesting thing because it has a beginning, a middle and an end, but there really is like, you can win this. Now there's some games that you can play forever, but even if you take a game like, you know, world of Warcraft or something like that, there's challenges that you go and you finish that one and you get the reward and go on. I think that's one of the important things that I would say in general. And again, this is from my research into the Forbes 30 and 30, the ambitious 20 somethings start something you can finish. And that's a really important part of all of this. So when we did the research, we found that there was really eight common projects that we saw ambitious people finished. Again, I use the example of a book. Like there was a large number of the people on the Forbes 33rd list who wrote and finished a book. What is interesting about that? Well, they started something, they finished it, and someone actually could evaluate it. You could see it. You could look at that sort of thing behind it. Same thing with the podcast. If you finish a season of a podcast, people can go back and listen to it, see who your guests were and stuff like that. An album, putting on an event, like putting on a conference or an event series, all of these things have three key variables to your project. And as you're thinking about what that project is, again, start something you can finish. But number one, do something that again, like aligns to your bigger, broader aims. Again, you want to pick something that you're excited to do. I listen to podcasts, so I'm going to do a podcast. I like going to events. I'm going to do an event series behind it. I like reading books. I'm going to write a book. So pick something that you just generally like, and you're curious about behind it. That will start certain there. So that's the first thing in the project selection. The second thing is you want to do something that takes you between six months and a year to finish. The challenge is, is that there's a real drop-off in success for projects that take us longer than a year. So Jonathan, this is very well. When I sat down with him, I said, listen, in the next 12 months, we're going to help you be able to finish a first draft and publish your book. Why is that so important? Sometimes people say, well, I need longer time that it's like to be really good. You don't, because the truth is, is you will never finish something unless it's done in, in a year for the most part, like the success rate drops off pretty dramatically. So first thing, pick something you're passionate about. Second thing, pick something that you can finish in under a year. Again, some kind of level, like here's what I finish. Again, if you do a podcast, don't do a podcast. I'm going to do a season of the podcast. If you're going to do a blog, don't do a blog. Do I'm going to do a 10-part article series, but something that's finishable. So put a number in front of it. And the last thing is, these are not things that you do primarily for money. So for example, this is why on that list of these eight things that I found, startup is not one of them. Why? Well, because first off, a startup doesn't have that finishability, right? It can't be finished another year. So like starting a business doesn't really have that point. But the other thing behind it is that these projects by their very nature are collaborative. They are things that can involve other people into it. So if you do an event, you have to invite other people to speak at it, people to attend. It's collaborative. If you do a book, you have to interview people. You have to have editors. You have to have a collaboration into it. So those are the three things that I would sort of share with you again about it is number one, do something that you're just excited to do. Like if you listen to podcasts, do it. If you don't listen to podcasts, it's stupid to do a podcast. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? If you do something, then again, that you're sort of, again, think about something that's finishable. Like, and it doesn't have to be like the podcast is done after a year, but you finished an episode, a season and you can decide to do the second season. And number three, you don't do something primarily for money. It changes the entire relationship. People in that case are not kind of as willing to, to sort of be involved in it. So I think to your point a little bit about it of like, how do we think about this from the video game standpoint is you want to scope this into something that you're excited about, you can finish, and quite frankly, you can involve other people in. And then you can always decide to go on another quest, another journey, whatever it is behind it. But that's, I think, a very important part today is scoping. It's 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 super fascinating to me, kind of breaking down that that seemingly kind of obvious thing is like pick something that you can finish. It's like you, you're never going to start, you know, a race or a marathon or whatever distance run. Say, like, I'm just going to go run, and you're going to be like, well, for how long? 
Like, what's your time? Yeah. What's your end point? <laughs> exactly and right. this reflection is something that- happen all the time. I'm going to launch a YouTube mm-hmm. channel. I'm going to launch a podcast. There's nothing to sort of end point. And here's the problem of it. It's not even just that you don't finish. What happens when you stop doing podcast episode? Oh, so you didn't finish your podcast. You're done with the podcast. You quit. Or, you know, you stop doing videos on YouTube. Oh, so I guess you sort of like failed at it. So it's not even only that it's like the positive part of it does isn't there, but it actually becomes a negative signal. And I'll tell you a funny thing. So New York Times recently was doing something where they were soliciting people to become sort of bloggers to come onto their bloggers who wrote on blog to come and pl- on their platform and start to provide content. I've never seen this before, but this is true. Only submit your blog if you have active posts within the last 30 days, because what they were realizing is that people are like starting these things and then they just kind of languish and die away. And so it really actually, that was a negative signal to them. Like, don't give us your blog because we know that you're not a real blogger if you haven't posted in the last 30 days. So that's why I think this idea of like, here's my blog, but you know, I, I, I posted my article series here. That's sort of a different tweak in, in the entire piece of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think another kind of scenario actually that, that I experienced firsthand coming out of school was this, this um, absence from having a, a hard start and finish point for your classes right. and your coursework and your semester. And I think for actually many young, just young professionals who are just graduates, it's almost jarring when you kind of come into the real world and you're joining teams that have um, experienced professionals who are used to, you know, we work on eight month, 12 month, you know, kind of this rolling project cycle where there is no real like start and finish depending on the type of work you do. And something that I, I experienced that was very, very frequent were everyone in these social circles was trying to create some sort of a regular cadence of socialization. It was like, let's have this event that we'll do every week. Every Wednesday, we'll have a a painting day. Every Thursday, we'll have like this meetup. And I realized after a while that it was people trying to socially instill this regimented cycle of like, let's have a thing that we start and we do it and we have it. And it kind of has a cadence every week because the cadence of coursework and academics is completely gone now. And that was something that we are, we're, we're practically born with as our earliest memories. Like you have kindergarten and first grade and it's like very, very step stepwise cycle of your education. And now you're like, and now your, your, your introduction period, your 21 year introductions over go. And it's like, well, yeah. what's the next step? And now people I think are, are left to think for a while is like, where, where do we go from here? Well, I'll share a couple things on that one. Again, so a little bit of data for you that I think is interesting about these frictions behind it and also maybe some opportunities to sort of think of for people. I think there's two parts of what you really said there that are important to know is one is that we're sort of used to these kind of like iterative approaches. Like every week I go to class, I do a quiz, I do a grade behind it. And I think one of the things that sort of ambitious people, especially when they run into frictions are, is that they sort of stop this idea of like kind of having iterative learnings behind it. So the nice part about school and class and learnings is that kind of every week, depending on the professor, you're getting feedback on whether you're learning, what your questions are, quizzes and that sort of stuff behind it. So I think one of the first things that I I do find is that people set out to write a book and they set out to do a podcast. And so they set out for this end goal along the way, but they don't build sort of habits to get better along the way. It's a little bit like if you sort of said like, listen, I'm going to play, you know, professional baseball behind it. And so you're going to be thinking an awful lot about this sort of like your swing and you're going to be conceptualizing it, but you've never actually been taking sort of swings to make your swing better with real pitching until you get up on the major leagues. And then you're like, why are you whiffing at it? Well, it's because you're not like getting better over time behind it. And that's what I think people, you know, whatever this might be, 
behind it. So the first thing I think is important to do, and this is why I think this idea of building out kind of that iterative learnings are really important. It's, you know, if you're going to write a book, you should be getting feedback on your writing frequently every week, every other week, you know, that kind of way behind it. And that's a really important part of it is that sort of progress is not like in leaps and bounds. It's small steps that compound. And so again, if you think about the growth of anything, you do it. And as Jonathan knows, one of the things that I've learned is every author that I work with gets paired up with an editor. Part of that is because certainly it's good to have like feedback on your writing, but the other part of it is it forces you to ship them something every week so you can get feedback on it. So you learn and you grow. And so I think that's the first thing is that as you think about kind of, again, sort of taking this idea of the school approach into your creative projects is that they are designed to provide iterative feedback along the way. And I think that's the first part behind it. The second thing that I'll share with you a little bit from the data standpoint is very interesting. So I always ask any creator that does a program with me at the beginning of how do you typically sort of make progress on big substantive projects, whether it's a paper that you're writing, whether it's a big project at work, whatever it is. And there's sort of three ways that I ask them to share with me. One approach is I typically am someone who makes progress weekly. I kind of like do stuff every week on it. The other approach is I do things kind of sporadically. I do it in big chunks of time. So I'll be, do a big chunk of it. And then, you know, kind of a couple big chunks to get me there. And the last one, and y'all know who you are, are people who basically wait to the very end and then pull it on either, but pull it off. So that was sort of the interesting thing behind it. So I'll give you some interesting data that I, I did when I looked at this one. So now again, this is a data set of, you know, several thousand people who've gone through the program. And as I said, the vast majority of people do succeed, but there are people who don't. And so I'm interested in the people who don't. Here's the interesting, they're twice as likely to be deadline writers or deadline motivated that don't finish than those that do twice. So double X, I think I'll just finish at the end. And the problem with that, especially if you're doing something of substance is you can't write a book in a weekend. So you, you kind of like have this thing behind it. So that's the first thing that I think is really important to know is that people um, have to, again, build these better habits. So then I took a look at the people who were these sort of deadline people behind it and try to figure out what we could do to change their behavior. So then we started implementing something called a boot camp, And it's this required time every week that they sit down and they write three hours a week that they have to do behind it. Of those people that wound up sort of, again, struggling typically, um, it was almost three X more likely to finish when you gave them this boot camp option than behind it. So the important thing in that one to know is that it's not necessarily that like you just need to be more motivated or you need to sort of find time behind it. You sometimes need external forces that hold you accountable. So just because of the fact that you're not naturally very good at kind of this weekly accountability, this regular accountability doesn't mean there aren't systems and places to do it. So spend time, spend money and spend sort of capital, your own sort of like, you know, resource capital to build those accountability into it. So going back to your point about why, why do most people finish college? Like, why do people succeed in that one? Iterative feedback behind it and sort of public accountability. When you go into college, you tell a lot of people, like, I'm going to college. I'm going to these things behind it. And so now there's lots of people be disappointed if you fail um, and you get iterative feedback along the way. Creative projects, the vast majority of people don't start that. They don't tell anyone that they're doing it. Like, I don't tell people that I'm starting a book. I don't tell people I've got this ambition. And number two, they don't build coaching and feedback to get better over time. And that's why I think a lot of people, again, if you go back to the frictions point, is that they, they wind up having these frictions of like, well, I don't know how to start a book. You just start and you get feedback to make it better. And you kind of have to have that framework to sort of hold you with accountability. 
I want to, I really want to emphasize this idea of do something you can complete and, and tie in, like when it comes to big projects, there's lots of benchmarks along the road that kind of simulate the feeling of completion. And I think this is a yep. really important thing to kind of build because, you know, what we're really doing is we're kind of hijacking our reward system from, from a neurological perspective where we're saying, okay, we want to motivate ourselves. The key way to motivate ourselves is giving us a bump of dopamine. We can go, you know, browse social media to get that, or we can go complete something, right? And in and, and building in some of these kind of synthetic completing tasks is really, really important to kind of build up that motivational momentum. Because I mean, that's really what, what motivation is. It's not some kind of you have it or you don't. It's like, are you building it or are you not? Uh, that's you know, right. you can be in, you can be at, at some level of momentum or you or you can be at ground zero and you're going to find it really challenging to do things. And so, like, this is where I'm, I'm I, I was trying to go with the with the video game concept of all these different mediums and um, that the more mediums you have, the more things you have to potentially complete, the more things you have to potentially complete, the more you can actually build this motivation cycle in a quicker way without exhausting maybe one pathway of your brain. Because it's like, OK, I can write. Or maybe like a solid chunk of an hour, but you know, there's other parts of my brain that are still fresh. You know, like the the, the music center of my brain, of my of my brain might be a little bit more fresh, and I can go over there and get that same you know feeling of completion. And this mo momentum train just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And you can kind of you know shorten it too with doing this this multimedium stuff. And and mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm just kind of curious: Have you ever like tried something like that, or? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of proposing something experimental as opposed to like, you know, going through a day and, and exhausting one one medium, going to the next, exhausting the next. And but I'll give you some interesting data. So yeah, yeah, I'll tell you yeah. like what the, what the data shows. So it's a, it's an interesting theory. Um, I will tell you that what's interesting about it when you get you look at the people who succeed versus those that don't. So the one of the frictions that we talk about is what's called fatigue. And fatigue is basically an inability to kind of like sort of you just don't have enough time to dedicate towards something to make that progress or momentum. And it's and it's one of the I would say probably more common things that you probably anecdotally observe in people today. There's so many opportunities like I do want to launch a YouTube channel. I want to launch a pot like all this stuff that you could do behind it. So what's interesting is that in the people that don't finish, again, the people that don't finish a, you know, a book project in this one, they're almost 70% more likely to identify fatigue as one of the things that they are struggling with at the beginning of the project. And what I would share with you in that one is that that comes from this fact that this sort of idea of like thinking that it's better to be sampling of things versus thinking about sequence. And so partially what I would share with people is let's just say that you are ambitious and I'll go back to sort of what Joseph said before here about this being overly ambitious. I don't think there's such thing as being overly ambitious. What I think there is a problem of overindulgence of your ambition. And that means that you think about these things about like, well, listen, I might as well do a podcast and a, a YouTube series and a book all at the same time because that's more efficient. But the reality is that causes this friction of fatigue. You're bouncing too much time that you can't actually dedicate enough dedicated time to one thing to make progress. So what I would tell people who are ambitious is it's not about reducing your ambition. It's about sequencing your ambition. So first, start with I'm going to finish the book. And then once I finish the book, I'm going to do a video course. And after I do the video course, then I'm going to do an audio show. But the important thing to know is that fatigue is again, 70% more likely in people that don't finish. And those that do have to wind up saying like, what am I going to give up or put on hold or stop? And again, one of the most common things I see with authors who come to this program is saying, 
So I'm thinking about sort of be more efficient if I have to interview people for my book. If, and I think you might've actually asked me this, Jonathan, it said like, what if I just like use those book interviews and do this in a podcast at the same point? And my advice is like, chill out. Like the, the life is long, but like finish something and then you'll actually sort of be able to do the next thing. But fatigue, again, if you are wind up trying to do too many things, you'll, you'll, you'll oftentimes fail. We see it again, 70% more likely to sort of be nervous about fatigue actually don't make it. How do you solve that one? How do you navigate through that friction? You don't think about choosing, you think about sequencing. And that's the thing that I would say to people who are again, maybe you've been told you're overly ambitious is don't reduce your ambition, just sequence your ambition so to have this logical path behind it. And that will be how you succeed. So that wasn't exactly the question that you asked there, Jonathan, but I think it kind of answers what it really is intended to do is I think that you should be able to start with what you're most excited about, but don't feel like you're choosing. I'm doing a book or I'm doing a podcast. You're just doing the book and then you're going to be more likely to finish it. And quite frankly, what's interesting about it is I've observed people who have lots of things going on, they wind up taking like a whole bunch of time to finish none of them versus people who pick one. They wind up doing more things in a very short window of time because they are focusing on those things and avoiding the stuff that's sort of distraction. I think that's that's actually so common. Um, I live out here in San Francisco and I, I've come to call it the Elon mentality where it's like people are trying to, you know, build a car company, a space company and like a, a brain company all at the same time. And then uh, you talk to some people who are like, I'm working in tech and then I also have like my fintech side project and I'm also trying to like tap into real estate and I might make an NFT. And it's just like also those are all fantastic. But like like you said, chill out, like you just pick yeah. one and then it's it's like an overwhelming um, desire to want to do everything at the same time, because like all of these things are fascinating and really cool. And it's like, can I run all lanes of the highway in one direction at the same time? And then eventually all the cars, you know, pile up and then you're like, Oh, well only one of them actually makes it through to the end. Or none, right? Or you wind True. up doing none of those yeah. things. And I think, and I think, I think the challenge with it is, and, and it goes back to something that you said. That I think is a very astute point. Is that I do think people said, you know, said, well, you're too ambitious. And again, I, I think that I don't think you can be too ambitious. And again, even looking at Elon Musk, like he didn't do all of these things at once. Like he, there, there's a logical chain to them, right? Like he sort of, he's very intentional, and that's what I think is so neat about him is just his intentionality with all of it is unbelievable. But there all, you know, I think one part of it also is no, is I think if you, if you, if you figure out again, what, what I also think is important in this one, and this comes down to this, a little bit of this fatigue idea a bit is oftentimes we're wrestling with this idea of boredom. So boredom is a very common thing that people struggle with of like, I'm not totally in love with what I'm doing right now. And so again, if you look at the data behind it, it sort of it, what I would sort of say of this kind of creator group that, that I deal with, it's pretty common. Like about 40% of people are using this project to sort of you know, level themselves up, make a change. They're just not exactly happy with where they are. So it's a very common thing. I think I see in ambitious people, um, whether they know that's exactly the biggest fear they have or not, but they're kind of like nervous about making the right choice behind it. What I think is really important in this case, and this is one of those things that's not easy to necessarily do, but one of the things that I love about Elon is Elon's doing all these different things, but they're all tied to one very simple goal. So if you ask Elon, like, what's the common thread here? It says that humans need to become interplanetary. Like we need to become interplanetary. And so when you look at these things, like what's a car company and what's a brain company and what's a a drilling company and what's a solar company have to do with it? Nothing. 
except they're the only way that we can become an interplanetary species. So it does make a lot of sense. And I think what's important though, is people oftentimes sort of don't think long enough out. And that's where I would sort of say, I ask a very common question. And again, I asked Jonathan's exact same question behind it, which I think is why people can navigate through this boredom idea is we are, we underestimate what we can accomplish or we overestimate what we can accomplish in, you know, two to three years, but we underestimate what's possible in 10 years. And part of the reason for that is if you don't have a sense of where you want to go, you don't get very far. So Elon knew, he knew after he read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that we needed to become interplanetary. That's what he needed to do. He's young, right? I mean, he's a young dude. He's not that old in this process behind it. So why was he able to achieve those things is because he knew where he wanted to go. And so he made calculated choices on it. So I ask every person that I start a creative project with, what do you want to do more of 10 years from now in a best case scenario? What do you want to do more of? And what that really starts to do is it forms that kind of like that thread for you so that, yeah, like if your goal is, you know, I'm doing this. NFT and the startup and the other things behind it. Okay. But do they align to that thing that you want to do more of? And it doesn't need to be like, I need to know what I want to do when I grow up. It's just, what do you like doing? Like, what do you enjoy doing? I love speaking. I love working with refugees, whatever it is, like figure out what you want to do. And then all of these projects should start to be accretive towards that broader thing. But I don't know if it's good for you to do an NFT and a real estate thing, unless I understand the 10 year part of it. And that's where this idea of boredom comes into is we're like trying all these things behind it because we're hoping that this thing will help illustrate where we want to go or what we need to be versus setting up what we really like doing. Like I enjoy doing these sorts of things as this far off thing and then making choices that align to that. And that's a big important thing of why I think a lot of people struggle is because they're sampling things on the hopes that it will illustrate where they want to go versus simplifying what this broader thing is out there in 10 years. And not really, it's ambitious, it's bold, whatever it is. Like, listen, I want to be the next Elon Musk. Great. Like 10 years from now, totally something that you can potentially do. Now you can make choices in context of that. Yeah, I I mean... There's there's a lot still to discuss. I think really when it comes to <laughs> anything content. So I mean, like we'll we'll have to have you back on or something like that. We're gonna but, have to do it. Yeah, because we haven't even gotten into the scenarios and and, and the we more didn't get going, into the scenarios at all. But yeah. I think but I think it's really important. I, again, I think what's so important in all these ones, and I, I, so I'm 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 gl- I definitely will come back again. We'll do more on these things behind it. But but I think just I just wanted to make it really clear to people is that I think that ambition is not a bad thing. You can't be overly ambitious. You can't have these things behind it. Um, and I think it's, I think what the challenge is, is like what my biggest sort of my biggest goal in life. And again, if I were to tell you this, like, again, what is my tenure thing is I want to sort of reduce the gap between ambition and ambition unrealized. That's really what my purpose is in life. My purpose is to help people be able to realize that thing. Cause quite honestly, like the world needs it. We need more ambition to solve big problems. And and I shared this with both of you guys earlier is that, you know, I have kids, I have little kids. Now I have a seven, five and two-year-old and I see the world a little bit differently. I mean, I I always appreciated, you know, ambition and youth and those things, but now I see these kids, right. And they're young and like, they're on track to be the first generation that doesn't have a better world than their prior parents did a generation behind it, which is crappy and terrible behind it. But the thing is, is like, I can't worry about like, oh gosh, like what's the world going to look like? Instead, I want to make sure that they have tools to do it. And so even my seven and five-year-old, I'm already trying to imbibe in these things. We, we wrote a book together, right? We, we wrote a book together. We're working on all these kind of things behind it. It's one of those things that now that we've sort of started this process, even at this early age, 
it's amazing. And I'll tell you a true story. So we wrote a book and what I mean that it's like a Harry Potter-ish kind of book called the Penny Moors. It's been super fun, super great behind it. But that really meant that I worked with them to kind of come up with the ideas and talk about it and discuss. I wrote it. So I had to write it because they're too young to write. So it's not that kind of thing behind it. Not a bad thing at all, but like they were not the authors of this book. So I wouldn't call them my co-authors. I would call them my collaborators. It's totally great. And so my daughter, Quinn, who's seven years old, when we got the covers back said, wait, why isn't my name on it? And I said, well, because you didn't, you didn't write it. And then the author world, you put your name on it. If you wrote it, true story. She looks at me and she says, well, what if I, I think I could write like a, a coloring book. If I wrote a coloring book and kind of do this stuff in it, could I have my name on it? Absolutely. So we're working on a series of coloring books with activity and stuff like that behind it. Why is that so important? It's because of the fact that she understands that like, listen, there are these ways that she can pick up that controller and actually get a sense to do it. It's a project. It's something she wants to do to learn behind it. And it's something that sort of fits into this broader thing she sees for herself. She loves art. So I think that's what's so important to know is that you sort of have to make sure that you sort of, again, for me, I want to remove frictions from people because I think ambition is amazing. I'm so inspired by the fact that today's, you know, people under 30 are the most ambitious in the world, but I'm disappointed in our world today that we haven't come up with enough tools and systems to help people realize that ambition. And we only get it, as Jonathan said, if we have have a shared language, a shared culture of how people navigate through it, and a shared set of methodologies. And that's the only way that we do it. Otherwise, it's like, well, Mr. Beast just got lucky. No, Mr. Beast was systematic AF. That's why he succeeded. Hustin Minaj was systematic about these things. Again, pick your poison, whoever, it, you know, like all, all these sorts of people, Anna DeVornay, systematic, like they approached these things. And when you deconstruct it, and again, if you look at the broader data, 80 plus percent of them had a project that allowed them to pick up the controller and learn. And that's how those people wound up succeeding today. I love it. I love it. This is, this has been awesome, Eric. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a solid spot that we can, we can start to wrap up, but also that's a fantastic proud father moment. That was probably so cool. And she's <laughs> like, pretty awesome. I want to, I want yes. my name on the book. And you're like, all right, I did. I did. I've done well. I've um, done well. Right. And again, I, I, you know, I, I, I really did debate on it just so you know, like I debated a lot, like, should I put their names under or not? And I've really like celebrated them, got them to experience it behind it. But it was a real choice that my wife and I talked about of like, I don't want to just give them this sort of thing. I want them to earn it. And again, I'm happy to kind of like help them earn it, but um, I am dead certain that all three of my daughters will see themselves definitely. The two-year-old, she's a little young for this one, but certainly the other two are already seeing this sort of thing about like, well, wait, so I not just going to get on the escalator. I got to pick up the controller to do it. And, you know, I'm happy to basically help you and support you and stand behind you and tell you where to jump and avoid those things. But I'm also not going to hold the controller for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really like that metaphor. And I think that's a great um, kind of last closing thought that it's it used to be kind of like a pick the elevator that you want to go on. And now you're you're going through this mega mall that has dozens of elevators and escalators, but you see them in your path and you have to actively decide not to get on them because once you get mm -hmm. on, it's, it's hard to then, you know, you got to run down a moving escalator um, and it <laughs> yeah. makes the process a little bit more difficult. And I think that itself is um, a great metaphor for, for this whole idea. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. I think this is going to wrap us up here. We've covered a lot of topics on friction points and, you know, I think next time when we, when we do have you on Eric, we can really jump into it because we've set the stage now and uh, I think we can actually, try to dive into some more idiosyncratic, very specific things. And um, yeah, let's, let's just kind of 
stay in touch. And uh, this is part this one. Is, this is part one. This is part, part one. two. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> awesome. I think, again, if you come out of this call thinking, or I've come out of this session thinking like, okay, like now what, now how do I apply this one? Come back for the next one. And we'll talk about how you apply this when you have that ambition and you're feeling like stuck, whether you don't know what to pick the right one, you're sort of not sure how to begin it. You're not really sure if you're the right person to do right. it. You're frenetic. You're all over the place. Or you just have those things. Like we'll talk about the specifics of them and there's five of them. We'll go through the next time and really help people navigate their own path. Awesome. Well, that'll do it for us. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And thank you, Eric, of course. If you made it this far into the podcast and want to hear more content, please consider following us on Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube and sharing today's podcast link with your close friends. We hope this podcast incites you to start some interesting conversations and expand on some of the ideas we've discussed. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Certain Uncertainty Podcast a podcast aimed at unveiling the certainly uncertain relationships between some of the most complex systems known to man.